0: So I was sitting down. How many of you are part of our Radiant Survey this weekend? Awesome. Great. How many of you wish you were? Okay, great. So uh, if you want to be involved in serving, we have a missions trip, Costa Rica coming up. Yep, there's my shameless plug. Um, but time is short, so jump on our website, sign up for that. Um, it's actually a really great uh, time and it's just been impactful. the 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 two or three trips that I've read, I've lost led, I've lost count, but they've been really impactful. So I'm excited to go again this year. Another way we can serve our community is there's really three ways we can we can get involved. anytime time there's a, there's an act of service, we can physically get involved and serve. We can financially get involved and provide, and we can spiritually get involved and pray. Um, and There is, our community is hurting now, as some of you even shared with me, first service. um, There's been some young, a young group of uh, kids have passed away at the Faster Horses Festival. And there's still two, I believe, in critical condition, um, critical care in the hospital in Toledo. Uh, As I understand it, something happened with an air conditioner and and, uh, it poisoned them in their sleep. And so... uh, We have some attachment to that community. We have some 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 friends in our community that are have close relationship with those boys. So I would ask that you join me now in an act of service for our community and praying with those families. So or for those families. Father, I just pray for the two young men who are in critical care right now, Lord, that you would just restore the function of of their mind. Of their their lungs, the capacity. I believe they're they're in a coma, Father. And you created a body. You are called the God who heals. Uh, this is not uh, beyond your reach. So, Father, I just pray a healing work over these two young men. Lord, I pray um, <clears throat> wisdom for the doctors and the nurses as they walk into this room. That there just be a supernatural knowledge. Just in their minds, like secondhand, oh, we know what we got to do. They don't even have to have time to, to think to respond. I pray for a peace um, in those hospital rooms for the family members. Um, I pray for just the wisdom to grieve, Lord, for the other families. And I just ask that your mercy and grace would be evident in all of this. Lord, I pray that uh, you would just be at work in the midst of this and that your wisdom would be revealed, and your glory would be revealed as well. In your name I pray, amen. So I'm Pastor Jeff, one of the associate pastors here. Um, And if you've heard me speak before, you know, often, I don't intend to always do this, but they just seem to fit. I usually open with a story about my kids. And if you have young kids like I do, I have a nine-year-old, a four-year-old, and a six-month-old They're like a goldmine for funny and great stories. They always say things they shouldn't, and often they're embarrassing ones that you never tell. But we, uh, before our six-month-old was born, we started thinking like we have to figure out our our bedroom situation for our kids. We got three bedrooms in our house, and each of our our son and our daughter each have their own bedroom. And so we thought, what are we going to do? Because our son's nine years old. And no 15-year-old wants to share a bedroom with a six-year-old little brother. And so we figured we got some time to get another bedroom in our house. So in the meantime, we put them together so that we could have a nursery until uh, our son kind of gets through the sleeping through the night phase. And it worked out really well. Our son Zach and our daughter Bailey started to get along. They like played nicer together, and Crystal and I are like, "Wow, this is really cool. They're they're kind and they they share a little bit more." And um, it was like a honeymoon phase because that lasted for maybe a month. And uh, <clears throat> it started getting to the point where our daughter, she's she's like the antagonist. She knows she can push buttons and get reactions, and so. This was right around December, I think the time for the big give and we were having a conversation with our family of, you know, you, can, you guys have a lot of toys and uh, it, it's okay to like, some you don't play with, like get rid of them and you can give them to other kids and they can, they can pick out from them and like have toys and have fun with them like you did. And so our daughter was getting kind of excited about that. And so there was a cardboard box in the living room. She'd go down the hallway into her bedroom and then go and, and bring it to the box, and we were going to give away whatever was in the box. And, and of course, Crystal and I were going to have to look through it because she's just putting, like, her blanket in there, stuff she really likes. But at three and a half or th- four years old, you, they, she didn't really have the, the ability to, like, make, to understand nuances or whatever. So it was she was either, I love this and I want to keep this, or I hate this and I want to get rid of it. So as she's grabbing these things from a room and she's putting it in a cardboard box, she's like, I hate this, and I hate this. And my son, he's a little bit more sensitive, and he doesn't want to get rid of anything. And so it's like creating anxiety in his heart watching his sister, like, hating all the stuff she likes and, like, getting rid of it. And so there's this one little toy that they both like. It's hers. It's called a And it's just a little lamb, a little stuffed animal, and it makes a sound. And um, Bailey's just throwing her blanket in there, stuff we know she likes. And we're telling Zach, don't worry, we'll go through it. And he's like, he is torn up because he feels that she's going to feel what he feels in his heart (laughs) right now. And he's like, no, she's going to hate it. Don't let her get rid of it. And so he's like guarding Lammy and he's laying on his bed and they're sharing a room and she starts picking up on what she's doing uh, is creating a reaction to him. And so now she's just grabbing anything. She, she'll come in a room and look at where his eyes are like darting and she's like, I hate that. And she grabs it and like throws it and he's like, no. And so it's really kind of funny and we're just like, all right, how do I navigate this without laughing at my son kind of caring for his heart and helping. And so I'm on the bed with him like, Zach, it's okay, just trust Mommy and Daddy. We're going to go through the box. She's not going to get rid of anything that she really that is really important to her. It's okay, it's okay. She keeps going in and out, and it's like everyone's like a dagger in his heart, and she knows what she's doing. And finally, I just get him calmed down, and he's like sniffling. I'm like, it's okay. And she comes in the room, and he goes... Please don't get rid of Lammy. And she looks at him, she goes, I hate Lammy. And then she she goes to grab it. And he pulls, he's like, No. And at that point, I just lost it. I'm like laughing. I'm like shaking, trying not to laugh. I'm holding him. And Crystal's looking away. And he's like, it's not funny. And it's like the it, it got worse than that, believe it or not. So we they started arguing more and more. So like a week later, Crystal's fed up with it. She's like, that's it. You guys are going. To back to your own rooms, like, we're not we're not doing this anymore, and you know, Bailey's just kind of like, whatever, I don't care, and Zach's like, no, we have so much fun together, I'm gonna miss her, like, you guys literally share a wall, and they knock on it at night, and it's like, <laughs> you're, you're gonna be fine, but he's like, no, and he's all upset about it, so as we're moving her bed out, as we're moving her dresser out, and, and just her toys, like, again, it's working him up, and he's crying, and he's She's picking up on it. And he goes, this is the worst day of my life. And he's on his bed crying, And she, like from down the hall, yells, it's the best day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and so here she is at four years old, twisting the heart of her nine-year-old brother. I'm like, dude, you got you to gotta work through You got to figure this out because she ain't giving up. But I tell you that story. Because there's a battle for your heart. And in our world today, there are many voices that will try to tell us who we are. And if we want to discover who we are in God's sight, we need to start reading this. It's all in here. And, and I'm not saying my daughter's the voice of the devil. <laughs> However, I will say this. The devil will use the voice of those you love. To speak lies over you. So Jesus put it this way when he said, He said to the Jews, this is John 8, verse 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the disciples who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And in our culture today, truth has become more of a subjective term. And if you look up in the Greek, what Jesus was really saying, that word for truth is aletheia. And a definition of that word brings with it this sense of reality. It, there's, one of the literal definitions reads this way, truth, reality, the unveiled reality lying at the basis of and agreeing with an appearance, the manifested the veritable essence of matter. So I think to help us better understand, my my paraphrase of that verse would be, if you live out my word, then you really are my disciples, and you will know true reality, and this true reality will bring you freedom. God's truth is our reality. But what if we have trouble believing all that God says about us? What if our experiences don't match up? And as we're doing this series on heroes, I really identify with this one guy because I feel like that was kind of my experience, and I feel like that's his experience too, and that's Gideon. Gideon is an example of this, and so we'll be in Judges chapter 6, and it's going to pop up on the screen for you. Uh, Verses 11 through 15 is kind of a big chunk. I got two big chunks today, and we'll read through those one at a time. So, Judges chapter 6, verse 11 says this. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abysserite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in a wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, Why then has all this happened to us? And where are his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the land of Midian. So here's God saying, Gideon, here's who you are. You're this mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, if you're with us, then why are we experiencing this? And I've heard stories of the past, of all the things you did, how you brought my forefathers out of Egypt. And Gideon would know the story of crossing the Jericho, of times in the wilderness. He would have known all these stories. And he's like, God, if that's you, if you've always displayed yourself in such a way, then why am I experiencing this now? And this is how the Lord responds. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Did I not send you? God doesn't even answer his question. He's like, here's a direction I have for you. Quite honestly, what happened with Israel, Israel had turned their back to God, and God had sent this as a judgment upon them, nations to come and rule over them. And so now God is offering deliverance through Gideon, in Gideon's experiences, God, this, deter- this judges your character, right? If you were really good, we wouldn't be where we're at. Totally negating the responsibility that the Israelites had. And God doesn't answer him, He just says, hey, go in this might of yours. Save Israel from the hand of Midian. And Gideon says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So if you get anything today from this message, don't walk away with me saying, my daughter is the voice of the devil to my son. Walk away with God's reality is always available to you. God's truth is always available to you. Even though Gideon didn't feel it, he was called a mighty man of valor. And Gideon's not acting like a mighty man of valor nor did he feel like one. He's telling God, how can I save Israel? I'm the least in my clan, we're the least in the land, and I'm the least in my father's house. But did that change Gideon's reality? Is he a mighty man of valor, or is he least in all the land? Gideon's experience, his environment, was hiding in a wine press under the occupation of another nation. You don't uh, beat wheat in a wine press. You crush grapes in a wine press. He was hiding because that was the only freedom he thought he could experience. And Gideon was allowing this experience to define his reality. And maybe this is you. Maybe you... Have told yourself or you feel like, I don't think, uh, I don't feel like I'm a good parent. I yell at my kids. How many of you have ever yelled, shut the screen door for the last time, shut the screen door? Or maybe it's, go back to bed. Next one, you're getting a spanking. I swear, get back in bed. <laughs> maybe you just feel like I've, I just fly off at the handle of my kids, and so I feel like a dad, a bad parent and after all I didn't have good parents so how can I know what a good one looks like? Or maybe you feel like I'm not a good spouse. I'm because I'm not always loving. And after all, wasn't marriage supposed to fulfill me? I'm not getting that, so why do I have to be a good spouse? Or maybe you're thinking, I don't feel like a good Christian. Last week I did this and Maybe there's this secret inside It's just eating you all up alive and nobody else really knows. And if it was up to you, no one will ever know. I don't know your story. I don't know your experience. But I know our God. And this is what he told Gideon in the midst of that. Verse 16 says, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So what was Gideon's reality? In the midst of an experience that says everything contrary, God was calling Gideon a mighty man of valor and that he would be with him. So Gideon, what Gideon's getting in this moment is what we would call a rhema word. And in the Bible, we we have this English word, word, that's translated from the Greek. And the Greek, there's two Greek words that we get the word word. So when it says the word of the Lord, there's two Greek words that we get for that. One is logos and one is rhema. Logos means like the, the, the result of an intelligence, the, the evidence of an intelligence, an argument. So what all is written in here is like a logos Word, And that's what, when Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and good for correction and reproof and teaching, all that, he's talking about the Logos word. But when Paul says in Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that's rhema word. And the, the difference between Logos and rhema really is this, it's not that one's better than the other. But have you ever been reading your Bible or going through a devotional and all of a sudden something just hits you all of a sudden? Like, I see this in a different way now. There's a whole new light to this. That's a rhema word. That's God breathing life into that word so that it's personal to you. And have you ever gone to some of your friends and you wanted to share with them this new way of seeing this verse or this new uh, this new devotion or something that just spoke to you in such a deep and profound way and you're like, I gotta tell you this. I was reading, you know, yesterday morning and I came across this verse in Psalms or Proverbs or whatever it is and and it just hit me and, and they're just kind of sit there like, Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> I not really respond. And you're like, what's wrong with you? Aren't you saved? Like don't you appreciate this? Because for you it was a Rhema word. For them it was a logos word. It's not that it's bad. It's not that it can't lead them into truth or correction. But rhema is deeply powerful and personal and intimate. And God uses both. And so what Gideon was getting was a rhema word from the Lord. This is how I see you. This is who you are. So my question for you this morning is, what does God call you in your experience? Because a good father will not call his children to failure, but he will call us to faith. And sometimes as we walk in faith, failure is part of the process. And that's what the Lord did with Gideon. But Gideon still had his doubts. So the first thing he did is he tore down an idol, and he gets some confidence from that. Tears down an idol of Baal, and uh, he, he gains a little confidence. And then he puts out a fleece, and it gets wet. And then he puts out a fleece and it stays dry. And he's asking the Lord, I want you to do this each time. And I've heard people use that as an excuse to hide their fear, hide behind their fear. Well, I'm just putting out my fleece and see what God does. No, you're scared of obedience. And in putting out your fleece, you're disobedient. Gideon's here, Gideon's not telling God, you got to jump through these hoops before I obey you. And I want you guys to hear this morning, God's not scared of your caution, but he won't lead someone driven by fear. Gideon was like, if this is you, God, I'll do it, but I want to know it's you. So would you please do this? Both fear and faith, both fear and faith paint pictures of the future. One says God can, and the other says God can't. One is belief and the other is unbelief. If God tells you something that is contrary, whether it's a logos or a rhema word, that is contrary to your experience and what you're experiencing is telling you, then you must choose. Does God see this better than me or do I see this better than God? We see this happen with Earlier on with the nation of Israel, and Gideon would have known this story well that before they crossed over the Jordan, they went into to spy the promised land and 12 spies went out and looked into the promised land and it was everything God said it would be. It was everything God promised to them. It was a land flowing with milk and honey and they, they ended up bringing back this vine that they like carried between men with huge clusters of grapes on it and uh, they said it's everything God had for us but then there is these giants in the land and we were like grasshoppers in their sight and of the all 12 spies felt that all 12 spies said that all 12 spies had the concern of the giants in the land 10 spies said it this way we know God says but And because of their fear, they said no. Two spies said it this way. We know God says and. And because of their faith, they said God will give it to us. But because of the fear of 10 men over the faith of 12, the nation of Israel wandered for 40 more years and a generation died because of unbelief. So God's reality, God's reality is always available to you and God's reality, God's truth will reinterpret your experience. So God whittles Gideon's army down to 300 men before this epic clash between the two armies that that God told him he was gonna free Israel from. And so we're in Judges chapter seven. We're gonna fast forward a, a chapter Judges chapter 7, verse 9 and 11, God takes Gideon through this whole process, and it's a wonderful story, and I would encourage you to go read Judges chapter 6 and 7 uh, later on, and you can see how God just takes Gideon by the hand in the midst of his concern, in the midst of his what-ifs, and leads him into what God has always been calling him into, his reality. I think if we had a New Testament equivalent of the heart of Gideon, it would be that man that came up to Jesus and Jesus said, do you believe I can heal? I believe it was his son. Do you believe I can heal your son? And the man said, I believe, help my unbelief. And God said, okay. And he did it. (laughs) God's not scared of your concern, but he won't lead you driven by faith. So Judges chapter 7 this is what God says that, to Gideon. Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with your Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, and the out, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I had a dream. And a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down, so that the tent lay flat. And his conrad answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. And God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And this is a whole reason I wanted to share this verse today, he worshiped, because I felt like I really identified with that. I went through two years of Bible school, and it's taken me at least 10 years to get over it. And yeah, you can laugh at that, I say it as a joke, but here's what I mean, I could tell you all about grace. I could teach you from the scriptures what grace means, how we got it, how it's not earned, and it's something given to us by Jesus dying on the cross. And there's big fancy words like propitiation and what that means and how grace is, a, is given to us through God. But I still always felt that God was mildly disgusted with me. And it wasn't until I went on our men's event four years ago, and I experienced that same grace among men that I knew certainly God must have it for me. And it was like Gideon. I knew God's, you're telling me something, but my experience is telling me something else. So I don't quite believe it. And it took him hearing the enemies tell about a dream of certainly Gideon's gonna do this for Gideon to buy in what God was saying. And it took me to experience it, grace among men, to to buy into what God had for me and that grace was always there for me that reality was always there for me God didn't think less of me because I felt less and God didn't it wasn't that God did not like me because my experience told me I was unlikable but the moment I began to see myself this way with God's reality everything changed and I thought God was asking me to do stuff for him. And since I was failing at it, I believed I was a failure. So here's what I mean when, when God's truth shapes our experience. Uh, we, my wife and I, Crystal, we were with a mission organization. We were going to go overseas and plan a church in a tribal group. In Indonesia, And I'm driving down the car one day and I'm feeling the tension in my heart of I don't want to go. I want to stay here at Radiant and just serve and do be a part of what Radiant's doing. And I knew I could in eternity go to heaven and continue with our plans and God's going to be like, well done, good and faithful servant. You've done all this. Or I can stay here and God would be happy with that too. I, it wasn't like I knew there was a moral choice. But I struggled with it because I felt the anxiety of the supporters and everybody we had supporting us. We had about 40 supporters and about four churches paying for us every month to be in ministry. And I felt like it would be dishonest to say we're not going overseas. And I remember asking the Lord, like, what do you want me to do? I don't know what to do. And often when we ask the Lord for a solution to our problems, we want the solution, we want the answer, and he doesn't give us the answer. What I found is he gives us his way of seeing us, a reality, and when we walk that out, we find a solution to our problems. And so here's what I mean by that. I'm asking the Lord, what do we do? I don't know to stay here or to go, and he He brought a memory, came, back to, my, came to my mind, of about four years ago, and I was... Uh, with a friend and we were setting up a trot line in Missouri and his name was Abel and his son's name was Andrew. And Andrew was about four or five years old and Andrew really wanted to go with his dad and his dad's friend to set up this trot line because he just wanted to be with the boys. He was was like a daddy's boy, always wanted to do what dad was doing. And so we hopped in a van and went down to this river and we began setting everything up. And we needed a trash bag, and Abel says to Andrew, hey, go back to the van, grab us a trash bag. We need something to put this trash in. And Andrew was so excited because he was like part of the mission now. (laughs) Like, I have a job, I have a mission. I get to be part of the, the day with the boys, and I have something to do, I can contribute. And so he runs to the van, and it's just a few moments later, he's running back with this plastic bag dragging behind. He's like, I got a trash bag, dad. And he's so excited and like waving it around. And Abel's like, that's great. And so we use the trash bag, fill it up. We finish up setting the the line and we head back to the van. And I'm like clipping Andrew in his car seat. And Abel walks around the back, opens up the back hatch. He's going to throw some stuff in and he just starts laughing. He's like, Jeff, come here, look at this. And I'm thinking, oh, no, what's, what's going on? I'm walking to the back, and there's trash all over the back of the van. <laughs> and Abel's like, I tied up the van trash bag and put it in the back, and I forgot to throw it away, and Andrew saw it and shook it all out oh, wow. so he can bring us an empty bag. And I'm thinking, oh no, this boy's gonna get a spanking or something like he's gonna be in trouble. And uh, it blessed me even in the moment when that happened. Abel, Abel, just laughed and he says, "Boy's just doing what his dad asked him to do. Asked him to get me a trash bag." And uh, so fast forward four years, the Lord brings that to mind just out of the blue as I'm driving down the car, driving down the road, and I just kind of chuckle myself and and laugh and. And then the Lord says this to my spirit. I don't care what context you serve me in. I just want your heart. Go get a trash bag. And instantly, as I bought into that reality, it shaped my experience. And the anxiety, the fear of telling my supporters was gone. It was, I I know I have freedom to choose Either one in this moment, and God will bless it. The problem is God never asked us to do things for him. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. And we think God wants us to do stuff for him. But our purpose on earth is to receive life from him and then broadcast it out. And our reality is inherited, not created. Our identity is inherited, not created. In the moment you try to create your own reality, you step into a realm where you have no authority. You step into a realm and take on a responsibility that was never yours to bear and you will be crushed by the weight of it. You were never meant to maintain a false reality and a false reality brings bondage. And what happens is you are now a prisoner of your own thinking. Because when we create our own reality, we become our own source. And the problem Jesus came to solve was not human beings' bad behavior. It was human beings being their own source. I'd like to, if you guys would stand up, I'd like to pray with you and we're gonna do something different.